Let me get you to open your Bible tonight to Luke chapter 10. It's great to see Tracy Neimeyer, her daughter Audrey, down here tonight. They're members of our church for a long, long time now. And their daughter, Audrey's sister Deanna, is in school here. I recommend four Bible colleges to our young people when they get ready to go off to school. And Heritage Baptist is one of them. I like the school. Is that the name of the college? I thought so. Okay, all right, very good. I recommend that. I don't know the name. I know where it is. It's in Lawrence, Kansas. And uh, I love the school here. I, I like the philosophy, and I'm glad Deanna's in school here. And hear that she's behaving, which is good. Doesn't surprise me. She's a great girl. She's a great young lady. And it's good to have her mom and her sister here tonight in the service. Follow along. Very familiar passage. I'm going to be very simple tonight and I think short. Most of the time when your pastor back home says, I'm going to be short tonight, you say to yourself, oh no, we're in trouble, okay? But um, I think I'm going to be short tonight. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse number 38. The Bible says, now it came to pass as they went that it entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight on this subject, Mary's place. Mary's place. Let's pray together. I know you've prayed and Brother Hank's prayed, but I need to one more time. Father, I love you. I don't stop tonight for ritual's sake. This is not ceremonial. I need your help. I am nervous. This is, this is not normal. This is unnatural for me to speak to a room full of ladies. And so I pray, God, that you'll help me to think clearly and control my speech. And, Lord, I pray that you'll help us all tonight to have a heart to want to hear from you. And, God, that you do a good work, as Brother Hank's said, so one service can change a life. And so, Lord, if you would change somebody tonight, that'd be wonderful. Thank you for this place, the vision, the burden of Mrs. Hanks for this meeting, and for all these ladies and young ladies who've come. God, we rejoice in it. Bless them for their effort. And, Lord, I pray that you'll give them something for their time and money and all that they put into it to come. Please fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, and amen. Luke's writings in this chapter take us along with Jesus as he journeys into what the Bible says here, a certain village. Now we find out later that this certain village was Bethany and that it was a favorite stopping place in the life of Christ when he was here on earth for those three and a half years of public ministry. In this certain village lived a family. There was a brother and two sisters. You know their names, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, and all of them play a prominent part in the Gospels, but in my opinion, one of them stands head and shoulders above the other two when it comes to their legacy and what is said about them, and that one is Mary. We know her as Mary of Bethany, and sometimes Mary of Bethany is a tad bit overshadowed by two other women who have the same name in the Gospels, and of course, that's Mary, the mother of Jesus, and then Mary Magdalene, who was very close to Jesus Christ and the disciples, out of whom, of course, our Lord cast seven devils. Now, this Mary, this lady, was a tremendous woman, I believe, whose life is a pattern for all New Testament women to follow. And I think those who do uh, can learn something, can be blessed in life. 
She may be the most outstanding of all the women named and unnamed in the Gospels. And that's just speculation. But what's interesting about Mary of Bethany is the place we find her. Because when you study her life, you realize in, in order to learn about the qualities that made her so outstanding, you have to go to Jesus' feet. Because that's where you read about Mary of Bethany. So I want to take three instances, three events out of her life. All of those events are at Jesus' feet. I'll talk to you for a few minutes about those tonight. First of all, we see her at Jesus' feet in stillness. In stillness. And that's right here in this chapter, in Luke chapter 10, and, and what's going on here in this chapter. You understand the story. Martha was very busy fixing a meal for her guest, Jesus Christ. And was that good? Yes, that was good. Sure, that was very good. Every man loves a home-cooked meal. You can go to the fanciest, costliest restaurant, and you can buy the best they have to offer, but it cannot compare to a home-cooked well-seasoned, good meal. There's just something about that. And ladies, let me encourage you in this day of everything being done, you know, instant, you can buy these prepared foods and these prepared foods. If you're not in the habit, get in the habit. If you're in the habit, stay in the habit of spending some time in the kitchen fixing well-cooked, uh, good home-cooked, well-seasoned meals for your family. They, they do make biscuits that don't pop out of a can, all right? <laughs> so please, okay? And I'm, I'm serious about it. You know, some of you ladies have, have been other places where we've spoken on, on family conferences, uh, couples retreats and things, and, you know, you've heard me kind of joke about being a southern boy ma marrying a Midwestern girl. But, you know, believe it or not, there were some cultural differences there that had to be overcome in the early years of our marriage. I don't go into all that again tonight, but I will say this, that, that man, she has, she, has, she has yielded even to that part of my life. She, she has become an outstanding cook, cooking things that she never knew existed before she married this southern boy. She made grits the other morning that you, I mean, they were through the roof. Outstanding. And, uh, she, you know, she, had, she grew up on hominy. Hominy. Can you imagine? I mean, uh, the Mary's Supper of the Lamb, there's not going to be any hominy out there, but there will be some grits. And so, but, but, you know, look, what Mary's doing, I just, I, I find, here's, here's what I find it disappointing. I find it disappointing to talk to some of the kids in our school once in a while, in our grade school, and find out, you know, that they're having, they're having TV dinners, they're having pizza, they're having all this stuff. Every night of the week, and my heart hurts for them, man, there's something about a well-seasoned, good, home-cooked meal put on the table. So Martha's doing a good thing, all right? She's doing a good thing here. She's fixing Jesus, no doubt, that kind of dinner. And, uh, and by the way, you young ladies, you know, the quickest way to a man's heart has always been through his stomach, and it never will stop being that way, all right? Now, so Martha's busy doing a good thing. But Jesus said that she neglected the needful thing. Because he said in verse number 42, but one thing is needful. There's a priority here, Martha. And that priority was sitting at his feet, hearing his word. 
And you see that in verse number 42. She had chosen the needful thing. Jesus called it the good part. Then, then look at that, which shall not be taken away from her. Now I thought about that phrase a lot, a lot of times and cross-referenced it in the Bible trying to find some more clarity upon it. And I really to no avail. So uh, allow me to give you my opinion my speculation as to what Christ meant when he said to her, which shall not be taken away from her. I think he's talking to Martha. You know what he's saying? Mary hath chosen the priority thing in life. She has chosen the needful thing in life, and I am not going to take this away from her by sending her into the kitchen. I'm not going to do that. Because what she's doing right now is the needful thing. This is the priority. This is the, this is, this is the part that I'm not about to take this away from her. I, she is sitting at my feet hearing my word. And ladies, let me remind you about Matthew chapter four, verse number four. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the, the, everything that comes from the mouth of God, the word of God. You know, I'm not anti-service for the Lord. I am for bus ministry. Tracy's one of the, our, our best bus captains. I'm for bus ministry, I'm for helping in the nursery, I'm for teaching Sunday school, I'm for helping anywhere you can help in a church ministry, I'm not anti-service. But I wonder if some of the ladies in our churches are missing the priority. Missing that thing that Jesus said was needful. So much so that he would not take it away from Mary. The Bible says that Martha was cumbered about much serving. She probably had dishes everywhere. And maybe she's either cleaning up the mill or she's getting the mill ready to be prepared and put it on the table. And there's a lot of busyness. But Jesus said, I'm not taking Mary away from this part. No wonder the songwriter penned these words, blessed quietness. Holy quietness, what assurance in my soul. On the stormy sea, he speaks to me. How the billows cease to roll. Ladies and young ladies, the opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet should not be taken away from you. And you live in a world of busyness made up of very good things, which if you're not careful, they will take that part away from you. She, Mary took the time necessary in spite of all that was going on to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word. You know, and I am for being in preaching services, but I, that's really not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about your quiet time. I'm talking about your Bible time. You said, Brother Angel, come on. We came to a ladies' conference. Surely everybody here has got this quiet time thing nailed down. Don't kid yourself. I am surprised, really not anymore, at how often this needs to be addressed in the best of churches. I can remember years ago, I want to call the name of the church. If I call the name of the church, it's a well-known church, nationally known church. Probably everybody in this room would think, wow, one of the best churches in the nation. And I preached on this matter of spending time with the Lord personally in your Bible, quiet time, devotions, whatever you call it. And for some reason, God impressed 
pressed that message on my heart, I fought it. I fought the Lord. I had preached Sunday morning in that church. I preached, he was going to preach Sunday evening, and I fought the Lord all afternoon. I had another message all ready to go, and, I, and the Lord just impressed it, impressed it, impressed it upon my heart. And I finally surrendered and said, okay, Lord, if that's what you want, I don't get it. This is, this is such and such Baptist church. But I preached it. And when the invitation started, it was like a whoof. And one of the assistant pastors that was working at the altar, I had known him from years gone by in a previous ministry endeavor together. And the people are up on the steps and they're all around him. And he turns around and he does this to me. He gives me the thumbs up and he goes, exactly what we needed. One of the best churches in America. So I don't think in a room of 300, 325 whatever number of ladies is here tonight, I don't think all of us have this nailed down. And this is the, and listen, if you're waiting for your life, or your world to slow down and get less, less busy, to find time to sit at Christ's feet, that's not happening. There are more distractions today than there ever has been. You know, what's amazing to me was years ago, before there were, there were, the internet was like it is today, before you know, social media, before all these things, you would go to somebody, ask if they could help with something at church. Pastor, I just don't have time. I just don't, really, I just don't have the time. We are so busy, I don't have the time. Only to find out now that those same individuals somehow have three, four, five hours a day to browse the internet to be on social media. And I, I'm probably talking to somebody tonight, you know, they make 10 minutes for the Bible and four hours for Facebook. Now, you know, I didn't come here to chastise you. This is what Christ told Martha. Martha, I am not sending your sister to the kitchen to be busy putting dishes and everything around when she is sitting at my feet listening to my word. So ladies, let me just encourage you tonight, be at Jesus' feet in stillness. And when I've had the opportunity to preach to teenagers over the years, because I've been blessed to preach to a lot of teenagers and there's always a handful of rebels, but I've been also privileged to preach to a lot of very good young ladies who I think really or sincere, had a heart to serve God, had a heart to want to live for God. And I would always say to those teenage girls, the reason I think most teenagers don't develop a time to sit at Jesus' feet is because they don't, that's it, they don't have a time and a place. They got a time and place for everything but devotions. And that could be you tonight. You got a time and place that you got to be this, you got to do this. This has got to be done. I got to be here. I got to pick up the kids. I got to drop the kids. I got to take care of these chores. I got to do this. I got to be at this place. Time, 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 time and place, time and place, time and place. When is the time that you sit at Jesus' feet? Well, I try to work that in. You, never, you will never just work it in. You've got to schedule it. You've got to put it in your schedule. And you've got to put it in your day when there is the least amount of distraction, the least amount of noise, turn the computers off, turn the cell phones off, turn the radio off, turn the televisions off, get away from all of those things 
and be still and sit at Jesus' feet. I believe with all of my heart that some of the difficulties people experience in our churches is because there is no sitting at his feet. In Psalm 46, verse number 10, the psalmist said, be still. Think about it. How, how often are you still? And I know if I'm talking to mothers here of three, four, and five-year-olds, you're thinking, never. <laughs> never. I get it. I get it. We had kids. But still, open Bible, cup of coffee, cup of hot tea, light on. If you want to play some godly Christian, sacred Christian music, and I mean psalms, hymns, spiritual songs in the background, I don't have to have that. I just have to have this book. I enjoy a cup of coffee in the same chair almost at the same time almost every morning of I have to sit at his feet. And so do you. Sit at his feet. You know, I don't know if you ever heard the story about the man who had a child later in life, had a little girl. Of course, she just became the love of his life. And he would come home from work at the same time every day and he and his little daughter would just take a walk together, go down the road, 15, 20 minutes, and she would just talk, and he would ask her about the day and what she did, and they would take those walks every afternoon, every evening when he got home from work. And one afternoon, one evening, he came home from work, and he was, you know, changed his clothes and called her name and, and uh, said, ready to go for a walk? And she said, Daddy, I'm busy. Well, he was disappointed, but it was the first time, so he didn't say anything. But day, one day turned into two, two turned into four, and then it was a whole week, and he was concerned. He said to his wife, he said, what, why, does it, why is she not going, what is she doing? And his wife said, you'll find out. And after about so many days, he came home, and uh, she was waiting for him at the door. She had a little package in her hand, and she had handmade him a little crude pair of moccasins, however you call that. She said, I made these for you, Daddy. I love you. And he made over them, you know, and oohed and awed over them and everything and spent the evening and they got ready to go to bed. He went to tuck her into bed and he just said, sweetheart, I really love those moccasins. I really, you made that for me. I can't believe it. I love that. He said, I got a question for you. Is that what you've been doing instead of going on a walk with me? And she said, yes, Daddy. He said, honey, that's so sweet, so kind of you. But you know what? I want you to do daddy a favor. The next time you want to do something for me like that, you tell mommy what it is and mommy will help you buy it because I really want you to go on these walks with me. And ladies, the honest truth of the matter is we can get so busy in good things that we miss the priority. The thing that Jesus would not send Mary away from. I am not sending her to the kitchen from where she is. We find Mary of Bethany at Jesus' feet in stillness. If you don't get anything out of this ladies' retreat but this, I hope that you, if you don't have a time and a place to sit at his ladies' 
Your, head, your heads are not buried in the sand. Your eyes are open. This thing's it's going crazy. If there's ever a time when pastors of churches, when husbands, when children need the women in the church, the husbands need their wives, when the parents need their mothers at Jesus' feet, it's now. Sit in stillness at Jesus' feet. Get that thing fixed if it's not fixed in your life. Second of all, not only do we see her at Jesus' feet in stillness, we see Mary of Bethany at Jesus' feet in sorrow. Look at John chapter 11. Turn over a few pages if you have your Bible to John chapter 11. And you know the story here. This is where Lazarus has died, okay? We see her, we see Mary at Jesus' feet in sorrow. And so Lazarus has died. Jesus comes into town. Look with me down at verse number 32, okay? And Mary, Mary comes to Christ and she says something. Then when Mary was come, verse 32, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. So she makes a statement to Jesus and it shows that she has great confidence in Jesus, but it also shows something else. It shows that she didn't understand why Lazarus died and when he died, why he had to die when he did, she didn't understand that. She thinks his death was avoidable. She thinks his death was untimely. This didn't have to happen and it certainly didn't have to happen now. And ladies, can I say, there are always difficult things that come into our life that we don't understand. And there are difficult things that come into your life that you will never understand and the best place to carry that kind of sorrow is to Jesus' feet, to the Lord's feet. You know, men and women come into the office to see, see me on occasion. We'll sit down in the little conference room there. And that room has been over the years a place of tears. I have seen tears flow and drip off the chins of adult men and adult women and young people. And sometimes it's so frustrating as a pastor because they come and, it, you know, I think they come because they believe I'm supposed to have an answer. And sometimes there is no answer that satisfies the questions of a grieving heart. There can be a thousand whys, a thousand of them. And sometimes all I tell them to do is, is to go to the feet of Jesus Christ and do what you've done here. You've walked into the room here, you've sat down at the table, you've poured your heart out to me, the tears have flowed down your cheeks, so take what you've done here and do it exactly the same way at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Pour your tears out at his feet. Tears are a language that he understands. And when there are no words to speak, tears speak volumes. And Mary of Bethany went to the feet of Jesus Christ in a time of sorrow in her life where she, she couldn't get an answer to her questions. You know what's very interesting about this story? Look at verse number 21. Look at verse 21. Now notice what Martha says to Jesus. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Martha and Mary said the same thing exactly to Christ. 
word for word. Do you think they must have talked in the house about this? As sisters, before Jesus got there, you know, if Jesus had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. If Jesus had been here, our brother would not have died. And boy, Martha was the one to rush out of the house first. And after Martha said that to Jesus, you know, he talked to her about the assurances of the resurrection and that was wonderful and good. But when Mary said that same exact thing, the Bible says, look at verse number 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Jesus was moved at Mary's tears. Jesus was moved at Mary's question. He was moved by her sorrow. I am thankful that Hebrews 4.15 says, we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Ladies, are you hearing what the writer said? Touched with the feeling, the emotions of our infirmities. You do not have a reclusive God sitting far off somewhere who does not care, doesn't give a rip about your sorrows. He is moved at your sorrow. So take it to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. He understands your sorrow. You know, there was something different, obviously, in the way that Martha approached the Lord. Maybe she approached him with a little bit of the spirit of confrontation. But Mary didn't. Because Martha's talking to him face to face. Maybe it's a little bit of a confrontational spirit in her question or her statement. But Mary fell at his feet. And ladies, when, when, you, when, when you fall at the feet of Jesus Christ, the spirit of confrontation is over. It's done. It's surrender. It's Lord, I don't understand. I, I, I'm, okay. I'm not mad. I'm not angry. I, I'm not bitter. But I do not understand this. My heart is breaking. My heart is just absolutely crushed. And here are my tears. And Jesus understands your emotion, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. And ladies, I, I submit to you that if you do not take your sorrows to the feet of Jesus Christ and pour them out at his feet, you put yourself in the place where the chances of turning bitter increase substantially. You know, because sometimes we run from human to human to human looking for them to give us the answer that satisfies my sorrow and there is none. But there is something, there's something, there's some kind of balm. There's some kind of ointment that the Holy Spirit rubs over your heart when you're full of sorrow and you take those sorrows to the feet of Jesus Christ. You probably might, you might think this is silly for a grown man, but I was listening in the office just briefly to some of what she was saying to see what, how long we had to wait. And, and uh, she was telling about Ben and Ashley being over in Madagascar and they went to Albertville, France before they went to Madagascar to learn the French language and they had a baby over there they had Brindley. They already had Kenan. They had Brindley over there. And there was a man coming to our church back in those days. And uh, he came to me and he said, hey, he said, your daughter-in-law's over in France and she's in language school. 
and just had a baby, how about if I buy a ticket for your wife to go over for two weeks and then I'll buy a ticket for her wife, to, her, her, her mother to go over for two weeks and uh, Ashley's mom and that'll give her four weeks of help from your wife and her mother after the baby. And I, I, wow, brother, that, and so he, that's what he did. He bought, he bought two tickets, one for Joyce, one for Cheryl Finn. So Joyce flies over there, I'm at home. My brother calls and he flies all over the world. He says, Terry, I hear Joyce is over in France and I've got so many airplane miles. He said, if you can come up with a couple hundred bucks, you can have my miles and go. And I said, sure. So I went and joined them. And I flew into Paris and they picked me up and we went to Albertville and the day came for me to leave. I, le I went after her, came home before her, didn't stay very long. And so we get up, I don't know, three o'clock in the morning, we gotta go an hour and a half, two hours north to the train station so I can go to Paris, catch the plane, go home to Chicago. And Ben, it's raining outside, and Ben takes me, and, and uh, they're just a few weeks away from moving to Madagascar. They're not coming home. They're going straight from Albertville to Madagascar. And uh, we're talking about, you know, when's the next time we're gonna see each other and, and what's, where it's gonna be and how's it gonna happen. And so we get out at the train station, and we have a few minutes, and we're talking, and then they made the announcement, you know, and, and he said, well, Dad, it's probably time to get on the, plane, uh, on the train. And so we hugged and we embraced and we stayed in that embrace for a long time. And I got this big knot in my throat and uh, to get on the train, I had to go down some steps under the tracks and up the steps on the other side on the platform to get into the train. And so I, I got to the top of the stairs to go down and I turned and looked back and he was back there and put his hand in the air and I put my hand in the air and I ran. And it got up on the other side and I turned around to wave again and he's gone. And I don't know how old I am. 50 something years, of, I, know how, I know how old I am now, but then I forget how long ago that happened. Although there are times. <laughs> So I find my seat on the train. I've got this lightweight jacket on. And the tears are just rolling down my face. And I'm embarrassed. Some of you have missionary kids. I pull the jacket over my head. Put my head against the window and just sob. Tried to be quiet. And I was just, all I could say, help me, Lord. God, help me. That's all I could say. And after a few minutes of going down those tracks, I'm, I'm, I'm not being spooky, not in an audible voice like I'm speaking to you, but an impression on my heart. The Spirit of God said, there was a day when God said goodbye to his son. And it was like a tub of ointment was turned over in my heart. And you could say what you want to say, but I believe with all of my heart that what happened on that train was that this old boy had a high priest who could be touched by the feeling of my infirmities. And so many times we run around to this book and we run around to this blog and we run around to this support group, and I'm not, I'm not against some of those things. Some of those things can be helpful, 
but we, we don't go to his feet and just let the tears flow. And if all you can say is, God, help me, you have a high priest who is touched by the feeling of your sorrow. Take your sorrows to him. Some of you have sorrows that you're dealing with in relationships with your marriage. Some of you have sorrows that you're dealing with when it comes to your children. Maybe some of you have sorrows in your relationship with your parents, friends. I, I don't know. But I pastor a church and I watch. You know what I've learned? Heartache stops at everybody's doorstep. Everybody's. Nobody gets past. Take him to his feet. Pam Britt's a lady in our church who was there when I went there in 1990, she and her husband. She has been so involved over the years, Sunday school teacher, school teacher, church secretary, church pianist, singing the choir, go soul winning, teach uh, special music, just, just a wonderful Christian lady. April of last year, April of 2020, she got sick, but it wasn't COVID. It, was, it turned out to be a mutant variant of Guillain-Barre Gillian disease. You all ladies know what that Guillain-Barre, it does something to the neuro, neurological system in your body. And last July, July 2020, she lost her ability to walk. She's 59 years of age. And she laid in the bed. And nothing would help her. Nothing helped her. And she still hasn't walked. It's been over a year now. She lost weight and her legs are just, I haven't seen her bare legs, but Delbert, her husband tells me her legs are toothpicks. A couple weeks ago, I just got the idea, it was her 60th birthday, and we urged the people in the church to get cards and stuff, and they brought them to the church on Sunday night, and we were hoping that she could get there, but she could not bend her knee to get into the car. When they tried to put her in, she couldn't do it, and so we Skyped with her. So her face was on the screen, and the church people got to see her. Some of them got to see her for the first time in over a year, and it was like, you couldn't believe it. She hasn't moved out, of, she hasn't walked since July of 2020. And we just did a little interview with her, sang happy birthday to her. And then I said, Pam, can you tell the church how the Lord has helped you? Because every time I go to the house to visit her, her spirit's good. There's no bitters, there's no ugliness. I said, can you tell the church how the Lord has helped you? And she didn't hesitate. She didn't hesitate. It was not a setup question. She didn't hesitate. She said, you know, twice in the Bible, it says the Lord was my stay. The Lord was my stay. And he has been that to me. He has been my stay. He has been my shield. He has been my buckler. He has been my high tower. He has been this. He has been that. On and on and on. And there's no bitterness. There's no anger. There's no ugliness because she has, I believe she has taken her Yes, she spent time on the internet looking for help with this and looking for help with this and reading this and reading that, but she has not overlooked the necessity 
of taking her sorrow to Jesus' feet because when there are no answers, you still have a Savior who's touched by your sorrow, by your infirmity, by your tears. And all the ministry that that Savior can have in your heart, ladies, if you will take your sorrow to his feet. So we see Mary of Bethany in stillness at Jesus' feet. We see Mary of Bethany in sorrow at Jesus' feet. Last of all tonight will be done. Turn to look at John chapter 12. You're right there because we see her at Jesus' feet in sacrifice. All right? So in chapter 12, Verse number one, here we go. We're at Mary and Martha Lazarus' house. Actually, they're at Simon the leper's house. They're in Bethany, and they made him a supper. Martha was serving. Lazarus wanted him to sat at the table with him. Verse three, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of, her, of the ointment. Well, if she's anointed his feet and wiped her feet with it, where, she has to be where? She has to be at Jesus' feet. That's where she is. Now, why is she there? And why did she take the most expensive, costly item that she owned and pour it out at Jesus' feet? Why did she sacrifice that to him, which was so costly and valuable to her? Well, Jesus tells us in verse number seven, in, in chapter 12, verse number seven, where he says, uh, against the day of my burying, hath she kept this. She understands what I'm about to do. I'm about to go to the cross and she's heard me talk about this. I'm gonna die, I'm gonna be buried and she has saved this for this moment because of what I'm going to do for her. I'm gonna go to the cross. I'm gonna shed my blood. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna be buried. I'm gonna rise again so that Mary and Lazarus and Martha and everybody else can go to heaven. And because of that, looking forward to that, because of what Jesus was gonna sacrifice for her, Mary was moved to sacrifice something for Jesus. And ladies, we, look, we don't look forward to the cross, we look back at the cross and we see the same sacrifice that Christ made for us and we ought to be willing to sacrifice something costly for him. And what is more costly than the life you and I have been given? Because we only have one. This is it. So this is our life. We've been given this life by the grace of God. There's nothing more costly or expensive or more valuable to us than our life. And so she took, that, she, she took what was the most costly thing to her and sacrificed it for him. And I submit to you that it is very, very wise, very sensible, very right that you take yourself in sacrifice to Jesus' feet. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I just wonder if there are some in this room who are just holding back on God. Maybe there are some in this room, and I don't know, I know several of you, but I know all of you. Maybe there are some new Christians in here. Maybe you haven't been saved very long. And this whole thing's new to you, and you're thinking, you know, I don't know how much I should really commit and get involved in this thing. Let me tell you what. Don't hold back on God. Don't hold back any area of your life, any part of your life for yourself. Lay it at Jesus' feet. Lay yourself in sacrifice to him. You know, it was Isaac Watts who wrote that beautiful hymn that we sing in church, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And the third verse contains these words. See from his head 
his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns composed so rich a crown? And then he was compelled in the next verse to say, were the whole realm of nature mine. That were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life. You say it, my all. And that's what picked, that's what Mary's she given herself in sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ. When I survey Jesus' feet, I won't hold anything back from him. We've been, we've been through two building projects at the church and a couple of remodel projects. I don't have my keys with me tonight, but I learned something very interesting that when you think you're done with the building project, you're not. I thought, you know, there was a day I had brown hair. <laughs> this is not a wife. This is not six kids. This, this is building projects. <laughs> this is unions striking. This is, anyway. So I think we're done. I think this first building project's wrapped up and the general contractor walks in one day and said, hey, pastor, can we talk for a few minutes? We gotta, we gotta decide what kind of door handles are gonna go on all the doors and what kind of locks you want and how many keys you need to open up. What? We had to walk through the building choose a door handle for every specific door and decide, you know, if that, if that was going to be opened by one key, you know, or if, if, if it was a, how many keys were going to be available and what kind of keys. And I learned there's what they call a grandmaster key and a submaster key. The submaster key gets you into our church. You come to our church, the submaster key gets you into almost every door, almost. It doesn't get you into the offices, but it gets you into all the other doors, closets, classrooms. But there's a grandmaster key. And guess how many doors that grandmaster key unlocks? All of them. And I think the problem with some of God's people is that they've handed Jesus the submaster key of their life. And they've let him have access Almost every part. You know what Jesus deserves? He deserves the grandmaster key of my life and he deserves the grandmaster key of your life. And you'll learn that at his feet. When you see the wounds and realize the sacrifice that he made for us, give him the grandmaster key. So Mary's place, spend some time at Jesus' feet in stillness. When need arises, go to Jesus' feet in sorrow and go to Jesus' feet in sacrifice with the grandmaster key of your life and say, Lord, I am yours. Make Mary's place your place. That'd be a good thing to do. Make Mary's place your place. Let's pray together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Thank you for listening.